Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for Executive Perspective. Executive Perspective is brought to you by Cressa, going beyond space to foster the best environment for every business. Now, here's your host, Danny Vandermeer. Hello, and welcome to Executive Perspective, podcast series brought to you by Cressa the world's largest commercial real estate firm dedicated to representing tenants. At Cressa, we understand the value of relationships and the power of connecting with others in the business world. That's why we love this podcast series. We get to sit down with executives and business leaders and listen to their challenges, insights, and unique perspective. My name is Danny Vandermaiden, and I am the host of Executive Perspective. And today, I'm very excited to welcome Richard Ross, Chief Executive Officer of Quinn Residences, Richard, thank you so much for coming today. Thanks for having me, Danny. Honored to be here. It is it is a pleasure. Um, and for those of us, and for you know, for our listeners who don't know who Quinn is, you guys are a privately held real estate operating company that acquires and develops newly operated build to suit single family communities. And for the most part, those are located in the southern United States. But what more could you tell us about Quinn that I didn't just describe? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, we are an institutionally backed. Uh, owner, operator, developer of purpose-built single-family rental communities. And what I mean by that is picture a typical suburban subdivision out here in Roswell or Phoenix or Denver or Charlotte, um, where you have 200 homes for sale. Those are clubhouse. We build those communities where every home is for rent. Every so the home in entire, The entire community is for rent. Got so it. Purpose-built single family rental properties. And Quinn currently has a, just over 5,100 homes in throughout 38 communities, Southeast United States. Gotcha. Thank you for that. And just so that we all know, how did you get to become a CEO here? So I've been in the real estate, I'm an accountant by training, but I've been in the real estate Touché business to that. Uh, now some 35 years. I cut my teeth in public real estate, uh, working on post properties, a uh, venerable Atlanta multifamily company um, as during their IPO in the early 90s and went on to uh, be a CFO at Branch Properties, which is a grocery anchor shopping center developer here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. brought Publix to Atlanta, and um, ha- had a couple of other opportunities come my way and got into the to Quinn, into the build-to-rent business just over three years ago, right literally a month before the lockdown of COVID. I was going to say, what a unique time. To yeah, jump on board, uh, unusual and uh-huh. fortuitous, both in 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 uh, both ways. So I was presented with a business plan. Um, some investors who I'd done business with said, "You know, we need somebody to come run this company for us. You have the experience and and the track record." And when they presented me with the business plan, it was very compelling. And we'll talk about why. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. Well, thank you for that. And man, I can't think of a more uh, just coincidental and amazing time to take that post because I mean, if the real estate and residential market wasn't on fire three years ago, my goodness, look where we're at today. Yeah. And I, I tell people uh, early on, so right, March, April of 20, when the lockdown started, uh, most people, especially in residential real estate, but office as well, were very concerned. One, are people going to be able to pay their rent? Uh, right. Certainly in the residential yeah. business and in, and in the office, is anybody going to be coming to the office? Um, and in the residential side of the space, um, I, I like to say uh, the pandemic sort of poured gasoline on the business plan. It just accelerated everything. 
So getting into the single family rental market, uh, can you explain a little bit of the concept of build to rent and what its role is in the market? Sure. I think it's important to start with understanding the residential uh, uh, universe in, mm-hmm. in the United States. So to give you some facts, there are roughly 131-ish million households in the United States. Um, of those, rentals represent about 45 million. So that's 35%. That includes apartments and single-family rentals. So single-family rentals are about 16.5 million of that total. Gotcha. So roughly 12 and a half percent of the total. When you come down to build to rent, as I described, build to rent is purpose built community, mm-hmm. entire community for rent. You're talking less than 150,000 homes. So minuscule, less than 1% um, of today's 130, 130 plus million households in the U S and that's changing dramatically. It's, cha- it's now. changing rapidly. Yeah. It's going to take time. Uh-huh. Um, so let's say there's 131,000 build to rent that may double in the next three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously continue to, to accelerate. So that is impressive. So a substantial percentage, 12 and a half, you said of the single family homes in the United States are rentals, correct? Technically rentals. And that falls into, you know, the category of could be a standalone single family home. It could be an attached town home and, they fall into this 12.5% for which right now purpose-driven build-to-rent communities are still a small portion, but that is what Quinn does. That is what you guys do. Correct. What are the main differences between the traditional single-family rentals and the build-to-rent homes? Well, typically the difference is um, the single-family rental business, which has been around a long time. People have been renting single-family homes for for 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. It's a very mom and pop business. So let's say you have a home in suburban Alpharetta, you move up, right? You go from your starter home to your next home and you rent out the home that you just left. Mm-hmm. You might have, or you might buy a, a home down the road and fix it up and rent it. So the mom and pops, as we call them, may have, you know, three to five rental properties that today is still the bulk of single family rentals. Now, out of the great financial crisis, right, 20, 2007, 2008, some big players got in the business and started buying up single-family homes throughout the U.S. And when you say big players, like institutional Black, funds? Yeah, Blackstone, okay. right? And yeah. those companies have now become public companies. You have Invitation Homes, you have American mm. Homes for Rent, and you have Tricon are the three big ones. And they own together probably 150, 200,000 homes. Okay. And those were all bought what we call scattered sites. So they would buy a house here in mm-hmm. Roswell, a house in Decatur, three houses in Canton, yeah. and what we call scattered site. The difference between that, which is what SFR has been up until 2015, 2016, when Build to Rent got its its genesis, mm-hmm. is these are scattered sites. So you these homes are anywhere from 15 to 30 years old. Mm. So the appliances are old. The roofs are old. You don't, one home may have a GE dishwasher and the other home may have a Maytag. In build to rent, every single home is the same, mm-hmm. right? So in all our homes, we have, I'm just making it up, Whirlpool, washer and dryers, same model in every home. Gotcha. Um, same HVAC system. Um, and that obviously reduces, one, the cost of maintaining those homes. Mm-hmm. These are brand new homes, so everything is under warranty. Um, we 
build these homes specifically for rent. So they're more durable. We don't put carpet in any of our homes. All our homes have solid flooring. Now, if you want to put an area rug down to soften it up, people do that. Um, we make the staircases a little wider mm-hmm. so that people don't bump the walls as they're moving furniture. That's very out. smart. These are all little, little things nuances. that yeah. mark the difference between what a build-to-rent community is and an SFR community. The other thing we do is we put a big technology package in the home when oh, yeah. we build it. And that includes, obviously, a ring doorbell so you can see the Amazon guy or who's at your doorbell. Uh, electronic thermostats, mm-hmm. right? Which so you can control the HVAC. But as an owner, it helps us. For instance, we're getting in the heat, right? It's 90 degrees outside. If you were to move out of one of our houses and leave the air conditioner on 68 degrees and you've left, mm-hmm. right? Because it's the end of the month, you've moved yeah. out. We can immediately turn that air conditioner up to 80 degrees. That's as opposed amazing. to it might take three days for one of these scattered side operators to figure that out. So suffice to say, Richard... Traditionally, the single-family rental home market has been like my uncle. He might own two or three different homes. It might be in the same city, or it could be his vacation home. It just happens to be in a neighborhood in Florida. What's different about this purpose-built, build-to-rent communities that Quinn and other institutional investors and developers are getting on board with is you guys are able to control and manage them in probably a lot more efficient ways than my uncle. Correct. And offer more because as I'm hearing you describe single family build to rent, I'm thinking already the market existed, right? And it has been around for quite some time and decades, decades. And, and it, but, but only now, and I say only now, and we'll talk a little bit more about this. It seems like there's, there is not only just a lot of interest for companies like yours to be able to, to offer these, but just an extremely large demand for this market. That's, already existed for a very long time. Right. So I think it's important also to understand in the U.S. the shortage of available housing we have. Mm -hmm. Depending on whose study you read, whose literature you read, there's a shortage of roughly three to six million homes in this country, meaning there are households that want to live in a home and there's not the supply available which is why you've heard of rents rising. Mm -hmm. You you read about all that. And interestingly enough, in 2022, things got worse, meaning I think we created about a million seven households in the U.S. in 2022, and we only we built less than a million homes. So we're that three to six million deficit, we're getting farther behind. Wow. So what Build to Rent allows is a, is a way to solve part of that housing crisis. Not going to solve it all, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's, it's a way to solve that pent-up demand and that lack of supply. Housing, suffice to say, remains a problem. Yes. And as we all know, everybody needs a place to live. So it's not something you can ignore. Mm-hmm. Right. And so on that note, how can you elaborate more on how purpose built, build to rent communities have grown in recent years and what's contributed to that? I mean, already we talk about just the shortage of housing, but maybe there's just more in the demand that you can tell us and other things that have contributed to companies like, like Quinn and, and, and these other developers finding a need to fulfill in building these communities. So again, about 35% traditionally, and this is 30, 40 years of housing in the U.S. has been rental. So it's not not a new concept. Where build to rent and single family rentals have, have made their mark, particularly build to rent, is with the recent 
home price appreciation, mm-hmm. right, that we've experienced and the rise in mortgage rates from three to seven percent, let's just say, mm-hmm. that has made renting a home much more affordable than owning a home. Mm-hmm. When we first started the business three and a half years ago, the main drivers of why someone would rent a, a single family home versus own it were credit score and down payment, right? Because mm-hmm. after the great financial crisis, you needed a good credit score, 600, something like that. And you needed 20% down payment. And on a starter home, which in today's world is 350,000, that's $70,000. That's a, that's a big number. Mm-hmm. Since home prices have gone up so much and mortgage rates have gone up so much, our home, a Quinn home for us, for you to rent a home from us is about 35 to 40% cheaper than owning that same exact home in that same exact neighborhood. Traditionally, historically, it's been about, renting's been about 15% less over that 30, 40 year period I mentioned previously. So considerable savings right now over for renting than owning. So affordability becoming a, a, a tremendous- major, major factor. A major factor in the growth. Correct. And you're renting- you're moving into, in most cases with our homes, a brand new home. Mm-hmm. So you've got all of the technology, you've got all of the energy efficiency, you've got modern appliances, you know, granite countertops, which on a, what we call scattered site or an older single family home, a mom and pop like your uncle has, mm-hmm. probably not going to have that. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's as if this, this has existed for so long in apartment communities where we offer amenities like gyms. And we offer, you know, on-site security. All of these, all of these amenities are still available to residents in these build-to-rent single-family home communities. Correct. And you have to remember sort of the demographics in this country, right? All the, the boomers, and then we had Gen X, and obviously the millennials, and now Gen Z. All of those people are aging. So people who traditionally live in garden-style or high-rise multifamily apartments. Those are typically one and two bedrooms, some threes. Mm-hmm. That's a, I'm just going to very generalize here, but that's a couple or a, a pair of roommates who are in their twenties, right? Late twenties out of college, first job, second job, maybe they're 30 thinking about having a family. This is all pre pandemic. Mm-hmm. So those people are aging and they want to move into a single family home. That's the typical track. Mm-hmm. Then when the pandemic came, people didn't want to be cooped up in shared hallways or mm-hmm. you know riding up elevators or walking halls with other people who might be sick, just to be blunt. So what was a wonderful way to, to alleviate that was to move into a single family home. So that's, that's been a huge demand driver. Yeah. And in, in, in like running a parallel path with that, the affordability hurdle right now too. If the natural path is to go from that rental to buying your first home, with rates being where they're at, with prices of homes being where they're at and so prohibitive, this would seem to offer a very flexible opportunity for that person to try to test out owning their own home. It does. And what we provide for these folks coming out of apartments um, typically is three. we rent three and four bedroom homes exclusively. Uh-huh. We provide a fenced backyard. We provide a two-car garage. We do all of the maintenance, so we cut the lawn. There's nothing they have to do in terms of maintaining the home. The toilet breaks, they go on their app, and they call us, and we come and fix it. So there's that advantage. Again, it's more reasonably priced, mm-hmm. and they have the, the privacy and the, 
the feel of being in a community. We do amenitize our communities just like uh, your typical for sale communities. So we have dog parks, we have playgrounds. Um, depending on the size of the community, we'll have what we call a wet amenity, which is a pool and a, and a clubhouse. You know, fitness centers are kind of on the way out. I think the pandemic proved that people can either, will either go to a gym now, right, to a lifestyle fitness or one of these gyms where they can socialize, or they'll do it at home on a Peloton bike or one of the more common sort of in-home places. So we don't particularly look at fitness centers as an amenity anymore. It's more common space, mm-hmm. pool, places for the pets and children. And what are the ranges of size of these communities? So we have ones as small as 35 homes, uh-huh. not ideal. Our our sweet spot, I would tell you, has grown. It used to be 150 homes, wow. 200 is, is now sort of the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So anywhere from 35 to we have communities as big as over 300 homes. That is, that's impressive because that's a large community, mm-hmm. 150 homes to 300 homes full of only renters. None Correct. of these homes are ever owned. Nope. They're managed by Quinn. Correct. Owned and managed, and we're a long-term holder. We intend to hold these hold these homes for years, 10, 15, 20 years. And so speaking to the owners, what advantages do institutional investors see in the single-family rental market and build-to-rent communities versus the traditional mom-and-pop model that we just talked about? Well, the, the reason the institutions are getting into it is obviously it's a very um, – uh, long-term cash flow, just like an apartment building, right? You have a stable cash flow, and that's what obviously investors want. Um, it build to rent allows to get some scale. So instead of buying one house here, like your uncle, to mm-hmm. use him, him and and another house here, and accumulate maybe over your lifetime, you accumulate ten or twelve properties to be able to build a hundred and fifty home subdivision. You can get to what we call to scale to five thousand homes, which is where we are today, at Quinn. 10,000 homes. Some of the bigger SFR public companies I mentioned, they have 80,000 homes, 50,000 homes. And the the demand is there to support that growth. Interesting. And so trying to remember, you already told me this answer and forgive me for already forgetting, but in total right now in the United States, how many build to rent homes in in intentionally purpose build build to rent communities exist right now what's Rough, that roughly 131,000 which is 100. over 900 communities so you do the math that it's 125 average per very small number where do you see that number being 5 10 years from now so it several hundred thousand mm-hmm. to a million you, you know 10 years i mean if we're building 100,000 a year it's going to take a while um, i think that that Build will accelerate over the next three to five years because of the just the demand and the shortage of supply. Mm-hmm. Right, three million, six million homes takes a long time to to make that up. And remember, only thirty five percent of people rent. People are still buying homes. You see in the news, you know, even today that home sales are still very strong, even though mortgage rates are accelerated. Oh yeah. So we're not taking away anything from people who want to buy a home. Interestingly enough, a third to half of our residents are what we call renters by choice, meaning they choose to rent a home. They They want to be in a rental. They could buy a home if they wanted to, Mm -hmm. but they choose to rent. And the typical reason they choose to rent is not necessarily for the savings because these people could afford to buy a home. It's the low maintenance, no maintenance lifestyle. I don't want to mow the lawn. I don't want to have to fix the stopped up toilet. And I want flexibility because I might be living in Atlanta today. But in three years, I might want to move to Denver. 
or I might want to move to Charlotte or Houston. And so they have that flexibility with a rental that they don't have if they have a 30 year mortgage and, you know, a significant amount of equity invested in that home. So when I think of just the growth of this and where it's going, I mean, I, I really see in the next 10 years, just that pattern of life that we talk about just dramatically changing, not just because of the affordability issue, but just because we can't seem to keep up with housing. Do you think that build to rent communities and, and single family rentals that Quinn is, is building and developing, will they become a commonplace in the life cycle of America moving forward at some point in the future? Absolutely. So all you have to do is look back 30 years to where multifamily or apartments were. Uh-huh. And I, I go back to an Atlanta, great John Williams, who founded Post Properties, who arguably created garden style, class A garden style multifamily mm-hmm. apartments, right? A very nice luxury apartment community, safe, very modern. And that was in the early 90s. Those apartments are still around 30 to 40 years later. But that industry has gotten huge. Mm-hmm. There are eight, a dozen public companies with hundreds of thousands of apartment units available. One of the biggest in the, in the country, Graystar, I think they have 150,000 units. Mm-hmm. So these are big companies. I would tell you that Build to Rent is where that is where that business was. Wow! In the 90s. Okay. So. If you want to use a baseball analogy, because I'm a big Braves fan. <laughs> go uh, Braves. Go Braves. That's right. Uh, we're in batting. We're not even in the first inning. I think we're in batting practice. We're in batting practice. That's amazing. 131,000 homes. Yeah. And we're in batting practice. That's impressive. Well, getting more to you, Richard, I'm just curious. Um, just in the three years that you've assumed this post, open-endedly, what's it been like? It's been very interesting. Obviously, we dealt with a pandemic. Nobody, I I mean, I took this job. My first day was March 1st of 2020. Two weeks later, we're locked down. (laughs) Um, So, and I I was employee number one. Mm. I had three other employees at that time that I hired. So I've had to build a business, right? Build a platform, build a team. That's been a challenge, as you can imagine, with the pandemic, especially when everybody's sort of working from home. That's changing now. So building a platform has been um, an interesting experience. Acquiring 5,000, 5,100 homes over that period has been very interesting. Mm-hmm. We work typically with builders. We do not build the homes. We're not a home builder, and that's just not part of our business plan. Some in this business are getting into that. In other mm-hmm. words, building the home. We work with regional and national builders to build these homes for us. So developing those relationships, um, evaluating the right home, right? We've learned a lot in three years. Mm-hmm. What kind of home? What do our residents want? You know, do they want uh, solid services? Absolutely. Do they want modern appliances? Absolutely. They want a place to work to segregate themselves, maybe from the family or the kids. They all have pets. Interestingly enough, our residents have more pets than children. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's been uh, very interesting and a lot of fun to one, build the team and then to build the product. I mean, we're creating an asset class mm-hmm. and um, that's been a, a, a very rewarding. So that asset class is, is on the platform of a rental. And I'm curious, and this is a little bit getting away from you and a little bit more to the industry, but since you've taken on this role, how much have you seen a paradigm shift in people's perception of what a rental community is? and the impact it has in an area. So I, I would like to say there's been a, 
a big shift. Um, <laughs> one of the biggest impediments to this business mm-hmm. is this bias that people have of NIMBYism, right? Not in my backyard. Mm-hmm. I don't want rentals in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And there's a perception that rentals somehow it's a lesser class of resident. Mm-hmm. They're going to do things that we don't desire. They're going to transient have, population. Yeah, they're going to have, you know, eight people living in the house. Yeah. I, I joke not, but somewhat seriously, you know, they're going to have cars up on blocks in the front yard. They're not going to mow the lawn. Uh, maybe they're cooking meth in the backyard. <laughs> uh, well, that, it's but like, that is a perception. Yeah. And then with the, the local governments and the local municipalities, it's, they're not going to pay their property taxes. They're, mm. they're going to drive home values down mm-hmm. in that neighborhood. In fact, the opposite is true. We're building, again, entire communities. So if we're located in the city of Alpharetta, where we're sitting today, mm-hmm. we're going to pay our property tax bill on all 150 homes on time. Every We're going to maintain those yards. We're going to maintain those homes because we're in this for the long haul. We're not a, an owner for one year, two years. We're an owner for 10 years, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So we're going to make sure we preserve the value of our asset. Interesting. Um, getting a little bit more back to you too, you know, since you've taken on this role, what makes, and these are kind of just questions that I love asking and I know you and your personality, you probably appreciate them for what they are. What makes, what makes a bad day, a bad day for you? And what makes a great day, a great day? I'd like to believe I I don't have bad days, (laughs) Danny. I, I, I try to believe my day, when my days don't go well, Uh I try and turn them into learning experiences. Right. So what happened that I didn't like today or that didn't go well for me? And how can I learn from that? That sounds like taking a challenge and turning it into an opportunity. Yeah, that's excellent. I'm, I need to I need to remind myself of that on a regular basis. And then to, to, to go to the other end of that, you know, what makes a good day? A good day for me is that I've given more than I've taken. So when I lay my head down, if I can say I've given more to my job, to my family, to my community than I've taken, that's a good day. That's awesome. And that's very true, too. Nothing feels better than giving sometimes. Um, Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. And then the last one, you might recognize this from inside the Actors Guild, but when you get up to the pearly gates of heaven, what do you expect God to tell you? Well, I hope he says you gave more than you took. There you go. Excellent. Well said. Or she. Or she. she. That. That's right. That's right. Um, well, Richard, thank you so much for coming on here. This has been so much fun just personally knowing you and being able to pick your brain about this this booming industry that you've been a part of and that you're pioneering and, and forging ahead and leading for the past three years into this future. And as you say, we're just in batting practice. That's amazing. Thanks for having me, Danny. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on Executive Perspective. This show is brought to you by Cressa, the world's largest occupier-centric commercial real estate firm offering unbiased, conflict-free advice. For more information, go to Cressa.com.